You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. Here's your host, Dr. Stephen Edelman, founder and director of Taking Control of Your Diabetes, clinical professor of medicine, Division of Endocrinology and Metabolism, University of California, San Diego, and San Diego Veterans Administration Healthcare System. Continuous glucose monitoring continues to be an effective tool in the management of diabetes. What do healthcare professionals need to know to determine whether CGM will be beneficial for their patients? Joining us to discuss the advances in continuous glucose monitoring is Director of the Advanced Metabolic Care and Research Institute in San Diego, California, Dr. Timothy Bailey. Dr. Bailey, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you. Well, Tim, you you know I've been living with type 1 diabetes since 1970, and there are so many challenges living with this condition, especially if you're on insulin where, you know, you respond to, to carbohydrates differently every day, exercise, stress, and it's just getting off that roller coaster. So with that lead-in, tell us about CGM. What is it, and where have we come in the last couple of years? CGM is a technology that allows blood sugars to be known frequently, up to every five minutes. Initially, this was introduced with a glucose monitor called a glucowatch, and this had some difficulties with skin and had some difficulties with accuracy. And now we have devices that are considerably more accurate, and these devices measure blood sugars using a, a needle stick, which goes into the skin, and this gets transmitted to a device which the patient wears called a receiver, which displays in real time what the glucose levels are. And, of course, have a built-in uh, and preset alarm levels to let the patient know if they're too high or too low. And this, these patients sleep with this 24-7. You know, as a primary care uh, audience listening, let's, let's tell them, uh, you know, who are the most appropriate candidates for this technology at the current time? Patients right now qualify for this if they have type 1 diabetes, which means they're on insulin. They're usually on multiple insulin shots per day. And these, this, it was a clinical trial, the JDRF uh, trial, that was published that documented a decrease in A1C, which is the most important outcome that most of us are looking for. But apart from that, this is a technology that will be applied also in people with other kinds of diabetes. Type 2 patients who take multiple insulin injections both uh, combined of rapid and, and long-acting insulin. What about women uh, who are on insulin who are pregnant, uh, gestational diabetes? Is that being approved now by the insurance companies? The most important reason that these things get approved now, the most important criteria, is actually hypoglycemia, which is something that we, we want to avoid in our patients. But to require hypoglycemia has been a little bit of a hurdle for a lot of my patients because that's something that they don't want to even acknowledge that they have. And so for pregnant patients, this has been still a struggle with most of the insurance companies. They don't recognize this as an approved indication, probably because the trials are still in a very early stage. It seems to be beneficial, but there's not a randomized controlled trial like the JDRF trial. For our listeners, uh, Tim, if you were sitting down with a type 1 patient or type 2 on basal bolus therapy with a high A1C, a lot of uh, unpredictable blood sugars despite trying to follow the rules. What would you tell them that CGM can do for them? If you can give us a laundry list of benefits. I mean, you already talked about lowering A1C, but what else on a more day-to-day basis? Diabetes for me is, is a question, not just lowering A1C, 
but it's also about leveling blood sugars. And I think leveling blood sugars is some is a concept that people with who are on insulin can more closely identify with as being a more frustrating component. And most pe- people tell me is that they don't understand exactly why things are happening. And part of that has to do with they don't necessarily understand how insulin works. And this is something that can even be different in, between individuals. And different responses can happen in the same person on different days. So many of our patients never get to become experts like they need to be to manage their diabetes. So CGM offers them a lot of insight. One of the most um, interesting insights that one of my patients told me is that when they came back to see me after a CGM was hooked up was that I lied to them. And I, when I inquired as to how I had lied, she just told me that, well, you told me this insulin was a short-acting insulin uh, that was rapid. And not only does it not work as fast as you told me it did, but it lasts a lot longer. And so these are the critical insights that patients gain when they use CGM that they otherwise probably would always just believe that insulin acts exactly like they think we told them. Even though these folks have had diabetes 10, 20, 30 years, like myself, it's amazing how much you learn about diabetes and how you respond to exercise and stress and different foods and how slow those fast-acting insulins are. And that's a whole other topic of research coming out. Well, Tim, you know, I, you and I have been at meetings, and we've heard uh, really smart physicians stand up and say, well, patients will, um, you know, these things are dangerous because you're going to give too much information to patients. And we've heard other doctors say, gosh, I don't know if I have enough time to look at all the downloads. What do you say to those two comments? I think there's always a danger. Ever since diabetes officially became a self-managed disease, in other words, we give the capacity to use what is considered by some people to be a dangerous drug, insulin, and they have to make decisions every day or multiple times per day. And that used to be very controversial. Even blood sugar monitoring, when it was introduced in the 70s, it didn't really become popular because physicians were concerned if the, the patient was able to monitor the blood sugars themselves, they could do some harm. And so a lot of that is education, but that's, that's just the only way that it, it can happen. So if a patient is not educated and they, and, and, and they assume they do the wrong thing, that potentially could happen. But I've never seen that happen. You made a great point. Insulin is a pretty dangerous hormone if you don't know how to use it right. And if you don't have your blood sugars on a frequent basis, then you're just sort of guessing. Hey, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Stephen Edelman. I'm speaking with Dr. Timothy Bailey. We are discussing advances in continuous glucose monitoring. Well, Tim, tell us about what kind of features these CGM devices have, and certainly the most recent generations? Well, the more recent generations, in addition to having glucose tracking, they have additional features that exercise sometimes can be tracked, and insulin doses can be tracked. They have alarms that, in terms of when the blood glucose levels go up or going down. Some of the devices have what we call predictive alarms, which give you early warning. And the other feature is something called arrows, which indicate which way the blood sugar is going. And all of these together really offer a lot of information to the patient. But the most important thing is that, that all, what they've had all along is the, the tracing, that you can see with the pattern of your glucose, whether they're going up rapidly, going down rapidly. 
And that seems to be one of the most important features. As you know, there are three companies, and I think we should mention them so folks know. You know, Dexcom makes a continuous glucose monitor. Minimed Medtronic has one, and also Abbott Diabetes Care. Now, all three of these uh, continuous glucose monitoring devices, are you're able to hook them up to a computer, download the information. And um, I, I know that some physicians say, oh, my gosh, how am I going to go through all this data? And how do you do it? In a, in a time-efficient manner to make some, you know, positive changes. And what could you say to our listeners uh, and, not, and not scare them that this is going to slow down their practice? Well, this is something that you have to really plan for. Just like diabetes is a self-managed disease, patients need to come prepared to the visit. And so what we endeavor to do is teach the patients how to do the downloads themselves because the, the printing, it can take five to ten minutes to download a single monitor. So if you're set up and have a large staff to do that, but we, we don't really have any extra time. So for our clinic to flow well, we ask the patients to bring it with them uh, to the visit so they've already done their homework. The added benefit is if they get a chance to look at the data and they can make comments on it, and so they come prepared to the visit. Now, they do have these summary sheets, I think, which can help expedite um, a review of the data. Each manufacturer has a, has a lot of choices, and my favorite printout, which all the manufacturers offer, is a printout that has a what's called a modal day, which basically shows at all times of day what the average blood sugar is and what the mean blood sugar is what the and what the very highest and very lowest blood sugars. And so you can really see all day superimposed uh, and, and you can come up with a pattern. At least when you start looking at these, you can actually very efficiently look at this data and say, okay, this is your biggest problem, and then work on that at least before the next visit. Now, um, in terms of, I think, a, a very practical question is, how is reimbursement coming? Because that's been the big pushback. Beginning in the early of 2009, this started to become covered, and we were absolutely shocked at how quickly this happened compared to some of the other technologies like insulin pumps that took probably a lot more years. And so over that last year and into this year, we're finding that patients who have type 1 diabetes who are adults and who have hypoglycemia are usually getting this covered uh, with a minimum of fuss. Maybe we write letters, and usually once I may have to speak to the medical director, but it's 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 not any more difficult than pumps were in the, in, in the old days. Uh, what's getting more difficult, what's still more difficult is pregnant women, and unless they have type 1 and they have hypoglycemia, or uh, in, in children, it's, it seems to be a little more difficult. Yeah, and I think I agree with you. Reimbursement is improving quite rapidly, uh, but we still have a long way to go. Tim, do you use group uh, tr- therapy? Because I know um, for a lot of physicians who are busy, can they put patients together and teach them some of these things or even any aspect of diabetes? All the, the data shows that group therapy is at least as effective. And because of the people being together, they can share common experiences. That, that Frequently, patients think that they learn more, not so that we don't have anything to offer, but the additional benefit of peer interactions is, 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 is really important. What we've used this for is, as a, that's a side benefit, but we use it because when we train people, we try to train them in groups of at least two to five, because the training doesn't. This way, you can you you can really minimize your costs, 
and which is a which was potentially a, a drawback of this technology. And just real briefly, uh, how does it work? Give us a visualization. Patients have to agree to do it, and then they come together in a room. We don't have anything specific, any consent that they be together, but they implicitly they understand that there's going to be other people there. But this is a, still a very small group, never more than five. I see. And, and the billing issues are exactly the same as if you saw them separately. Correct. And that can also, because the reimbursement for almost anything we do isn't very great, and this may make it be a little more advantageous. Yeah, and I think group therapy and group meetings are so important, especially with a chronic disease like diabetes where patients can actually meet each other and find out that they're not the only one having problems dealing with this day-to-day condition. I'd like to thank our guest, Director of the Advanced Metabolic Care and Research Institute in San Diego, California, Dr. Timothy Bailey. Dr. Bailey, thank you so much for spending time with us on Diabetes Discourse. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP-1, visit novomedlink.com forward slash DIA. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, visit us at reachmd.com. Daddy, what are you reading? I'm reading about something called GLP-1. Is it a robot? No. (laughs) GLP-1 is a natural hormone that helps regulate glucose metabolism. Its multiple actions are critical to glucose control. Huh? Okay. Well, GLP-1 works in a glucose-dependent manner. It stimulates the beta cells in your pancreas to secrete insulin and inhibit the liver from releasing excessive glucose by reducing glucagon secretion from alpha cells. It also helps regulate food ingestion by slowing gastric emptying in your stomach here (laughs) and making you feel full. Like at Thanksgiving? Yes. Um, I don't get it. Is it important? Well, GLP-1 is important because it impacts the multiple systems affected by diabetes. It also plays a significant role in protecting beta cells, a key to slowing diabetes progression. Unfortunately, many people with type 2 diabetes have impaired GLP-1 secretion and impaired beta cell response to GLP-1. Like Grandpa? Yes. And like many of my type 2 diabetes patients. That's why I want to make sure I'm looking at the whole picture in diabetes. Sustained control of A1C is important, but we can't stop there. It's important to look at weight, cardiovascular risk, and beta cell dysfunction. Impaired GLP-1 physiology is also a part of the problem, and the multiple actions of GLP-1 throughout the body are critical. So, the GLP-1 robot will help you see the whole picture. (laughs) Yes, I guess, in a way, it will. Novo Nordisk is a world leader in diabetes care and is dedicated to ongoing research. To learn more about GLP-1 and the role it plays in diabetes, please visit novomedlink.com slash DIA.